This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 82 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Vet Talk with Dr. Parrott. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. Visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, where weekly shows delivered right to you. Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hell, high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, Helena. Hi, Glenn. It's spring. I know. It's like 65. It's going to be almost 70 degrees here in Lexington today. I mean, I know it's not officially spring, but it's the, I'm going to pretend it's spring spring. Now, have you melted all your snow and everything? We, yes, we we have no snow, but we actually didn't get any snow this, the rest of the Northeast well, right. got dumped Everybody on. Everybody got, got clobbered and you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's uh, gorgeous here today. It's in the, it's about 60, I would say right now. So that's pretty good for the Northeast. Well, we have a fun show planned for today and it always goes long, so we won't talk too much. There's just one thing I want to mention and then, uh, uh, we'll get to Dr. Parrott has been on with us before. We do a segment called uh, uh, Ask the Vet or Vet Talk. We just talk about veterinary stuff. But this time we asked uh, for some help on Facebook from our listeners. We asked them to submit questions to us, and they did. They came through with a bunch of questions this time, didn't they? Oh, yes, they did. Some good Absolutely. ones, too. So we're, yeah. we're looking forward to ask uh, to uh, lambasting Dr. Parrott with all of our questions. And, of course, we always submit the questions to him ahead of time so he has a chance to prepare. And then we, we always end up giving him ten new ones. So, <laughs> so, and you uh, have a story, show hog. Show hog. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to mention that's just kind of fun. Did you see the, the – you know what a Rube Goldberg machine is? No, but <laughs> did you get the video? Did you see the video from I'm... OK Go, the the group, the no. musical group? No. There is a new video from a musical group called OK Go. They do they do fun kind of videos, and they actually tour the country. It's actually uh, apparently a popular group I've never heard of. Um, and they did this video called "This Too Shall Pass." It's the name of their song. But they hired a company to come in and do a Rube Goldberg machine. And if anybody doesn't know quite what that is, it's it's a it's a, a machine that they build that does one thing that leads to another, like a ball rolls right. and knocks right. something else down, and dominoes go, and then a, think Tom and Jerry. Yeah, it just leads into a hundred different things. Well, they did this to their their musical song. It was one of the best I have ever seen. And I heard interviewed the guy who put the machine together. It took them two months of planning, a month and a half, 22 people, a month and a half to put everything together and make it work. I'm watching it right now. And then it took them 60 tries to get three takes that actually worked. 
So they filmed this. They did film it from beginning to end. They don't splice it. It's filmed from beginning to end, but it took them 60 tries to get it. This thing is out of control. It is. They have more things in there that I've ever seen. I'm going to put put it. I'll go ahead and put it in the show notes for today's show. It's uh, it's on YouTube, so we can just paste the video in there. Oh, my God. It's called OK Gold. This too shall pass. Rube Goldberg machine version. It's amazing. I'm going to bookmark this and watch it over and over Oh, you have to because there's so many things in it. You just don't get it all. They said one of the biggest problems when you're watching it, uh, they had two big problems. One of the biggest problems is they used a lot of balls in, in gutters. Yep. And the balls kept falling out of the gutters. And that's one of the big problems they had. And then the second problem they had was you're going to get to a point where, and crank up the music too, you're going to get to a point where they tink glasses through this machine, tinks glasses, yeah. and it, it goes to the music. It actually play, continues playing the music. No. And they said that was the hardest thing to get coordinated to the music, to, to get the machine to do all its parts, and for the glasses to come in at exactly the right time. Uh, amazing stuff. Just, just, and you know what? Last Friday, two weeks ago, I saw this. It was at sixteen thousand views. Last Friday, it was at four million views, and today it's at six million five hundred thousand views. I, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> speechless, and that's hard to do. And you know what? The band was right. How many of us have heard of OK Go now that we've never heard of before? So smart. Yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. Um, I'll put that in the show. And nothing to do with horses, but just a lot of fun. Yeah, and we're total geek. Yeah, that's right. The geek and Glenn the geek people. But it's see, he's a good geek. He doesn't. It's not like stupid cheesy geek. No, this is seriously (laughs) intelligent. Everybody can get it and enjoy it. Geek. It's the only time I've seen an actual car used in a Rube Goldberg machine. (laughs) I didn't even know what Rube Goldberg was. Uh, I don't even. I don't know where that started. Apparently, it must have been the guy that made the first one of these. But. Interesting. Got to check it out. A lot of fun. Well, we're going to get to Dr. Parrott here because we have a lot of questions for him that our our listeners uh, submitted. But first, we want to talk a little bit about equestrian collections. And it's something we don't mention, I thought, because Dr. Parrott was coming on. We should mention that that equestrian collections also carries a lot of barn supplies. They carry a lot of tack cleaning and fly sprays and clippers, you know, things that are in your barn and are used for the care of your horse. A lot of people think equestrian collections just does clothing and, you know, outfits and riding outfits and things like that. They carry a complete line of barn supplies and and tack cleaning supplies and all of that as well. So no matter what you need, you can find it at Equestrian Collections. And I noticed they just came out with their twice-a-week email, and Oster and Grooming Gear are the big... Emphasis here. Plus, they also carry the Hilton Herbs line of herbs. I and love that line. Yes, love it. It's great very personal good. experience with it. It's very good, and you can buy you can buy their complete line there at Equestrian Collections, and you can get a discount simply by using the coupon code Horse Radio. The next time you order one hundred twenty dollars or more, use Horse Radio, and you'll get ten dollars off that order. Horse Radio, all one word in the coupon code section, and you can find that all at EquestrianCollections.com. You want to introduce Dr. Parrott for us? I do. Um, our guest today is Dr. Brian Parrott. He received his DVM from Tufts University School of Veterinary Medicine, and he's been an equine practitioner on Boston's North Shore for over 20 years. In 1991, he founded Parrot Equine Associates, which covers general health and wellness, sports medicine, lameness, podiatry, reproduction, and dentistry. A native of Rockport, Massachusetts, Dr. Parrott grew up riding and caring for horses. He is deeply involved with the sport of polo and enjoys fox hunting in his free time, too. 
So and welcome, he Dr. used Cat. to be your veterinarian, you forgot. I know, and he's such a nice guy. He's just, he's one of those vets that um, is really good at explaining things to you. So whatever your horse may have, even if it's just an annual exam, the conversation, the communication with him is so great. And I think at the end of the day, that makes you a better horse owner and therefore your, your horse healthier and happier. So um, I have a lot of respect for him, which he has, is, is well-deserved. And he comes on our show and puts up with our crap on a regular basis. So <laughs> yeah, he laughs at our stupid jokes. <laughs> here's that's Dr. all you need. Here's Dr. Parrott. Well, hi, Dr. Parrott, and welcome back to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. It's always good to have you on. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be back. I want to remind everybody that uh, you've been on the show a couple of times, and they can actually go back and listen to the past episodes. It's one of the advantages of podcasts, and they can do that at StableScoop.com. Just uh, search, go under all episodes and just search for Dr. Parrott, and you'll find or do a search on the website for Dr. Parrott. That's P-A-R-R-O-T-T, and you'll find his episodes there. And all the information still relevant today that he talked to us about a year ago. So uh, we, we, what's neat now with Dr. Parrott is with all of the new media, that we have available to us in social networking. We were able to put uh, some questions up on Facebook and ask people if they had questions. So most of today's questions are going to be from from our listeners and fans. So that's, that's kind of neat how that all works now. All right. <laughs> I got my list here. <laughs> Hosts get to go first. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Helena. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I heard it's really beautiful in Lexington. Um, oh, not it sure is what it's like, like 65 up, today. Beautiful. It's, it's just about 60 here, too, in Rhode Island. Um, but it's definitely spring. So uh, I think one of the things that's on most people's minds are spring vaccines and um I know sometimes, depending on what barn you're in, um, some horse owners just go with whatever the barn recommends. So, Dr. Parrott, I'd like your opinion on what you think is uh, appropriate for spring vaccines. What's essential? Um, what's optional? And when should horses get them? Hi, Alina. It's sure good to talk to you again. <laughs> um, Vaccines across the board, there are some that are pretty much standard across the North America, uh, United States. And there, then there are vaccines that um, can be used in uh, regionally um, or in target areas. And essentially, the spring vaccines have been labeled so because there are diseases in which we cover that are vector-borne, meaning they're carried by bugs like mosquitoes and things. And so the spring vaccines usually include those, but it's a good time just uh, in general, you know, people are getting back their activities with their horses to, and they want to take them to horse shows and uh, to move them around and uh, expose them to a lot of different things, including other horses. And um, preventative health care prior to all that activity um, and to the season is really, really uh, help, helpful to, and helpful to the horse um, to prevent disease. So the ones that are usual and standard um, that are recommended by the American Association of Equine Practitioners uh, pretty much across the United States are um, a tetanus shot yearly, um, encephalitis uh, vaccine, and there are three subtypes of encephalitis vaccines. And the most common in the United States, other than very small pockets down in the south, southeast United States, um, and, and probably the southeast and southern United States are equine and um, uh, encephalitis, uh, uh, eastern equine encephalitis and western equine encephalitis, two forms, serotypes that are distinctly different 
uh, but are carried by mosquitoes in their region. So the vaccines have been um, developed so that they're in combination. The other subtype that is uh, less frequent but does occur in the southeast and south is the Venezuelan subtype, and occasionally we'll get mosquitoes carrying that subtype. And so in those regions, I usually add a, a um, Venezuelan equine encephalitis vaccine, and those can be bought as a three-in-one or, two, uh, or in two-in-one type of vaccine. Um, the other is rabies, uh, pretty much rabies across the board, except if you're in a state that is, is uh, rabies-free, um, needs to be given. And uh, in the Northeast, rabies came back, you know, at least 15 years ago, and uh, there's certainly in the South and the Southeast uh, United States. So uh, rabies is a good one to do at least annually. And then the uh, one disease that has really come into um, exposure probably uh, seven, eight years ago is West Nile virus. It's really spread across the United States fairly rapidly, having started on the east, in the east, in um, New Jersey, New York area, moved up to the northeast and then spread to the south and uh, southeast and across the United States now. So those are the four, tetanus, encephalitis, rabies, and West Nile virus that are pretty much standard across the United States. Now, there are... Do you have any questions about those four? No, we're I'm I'm taking notes. <laughs> oh, great, good. Now there there are there's a lot of vaccines out there, and of course, uh, some people you know uh, are in an area that a lot of them need to uh, or all of them need to be done. But um, well, rabies area- sounds pretty. You know, it, it, I mean, I think when you said rabies is back after for the last 15 years, I never actually thought of rabies as going away. I know that some um, some of these diseases. They go in cycles based on their the hosts that carry them. Yeah, right. right yes. Um, but I just rabies. I would never think to not vaccinate for because it is such a, you know, it gets the most press. It's it's scary. It's yeah. you know easy yeah. to transmit. Um, well, they, it, it's such a uh, it's such a deadly disease, and it is um, a disease that uh, crosses many mam- mammal species. So all mammals can get it. Um, and of course, it's uh, contagious uh, from animal to animal or mammal to mammal. Right. That um, it, we have a, a rat, uh, it has been eradicated in some regions, um, and of course, it's not present at all in, in, in um, Great Britain. Um, so there, they don't even vaccinate. Um, so we we were rabies free in um, most of the New England states for years, and it was not highly recommended to vaccinate horses and large animals for that prior to the new on, onset of rabies. But now it has become um, very infrequent, but it's certainly considered endemic, um, and we do have rabies. So therefore, you know, all mammal species that there's a vaccine for uh, that, that has been tested on those mammals, we're, we're vaccinating those mammals with it. You know, we had a we had a big farm in uh, Pennsylvania, in the ninety in the all through the nineties, and it was bad there. And it, any one of us who has had a farm where we had a rabid raccoon in the barn, I just shot it and we had it tested. And of course, it was had rabies, and they came out and they picked the horses out where they even thought that the raccoon was in the stalls there. And you know, all those horses had to be quarantined for what a pain. The raccoon was actually in the barn. <laughs> I was in the rafter, right, right in one of the stalls above one of my ponies. Well, how would they? How would a rabid? Uh, I mean, other than an, an all-out bite. I mean, is that how a raccoon would transmit it 
to a horse? Yes, it needs it needs to be basically um, direct contact. Uh, the organism is extremely uh, labile, which means very sensitive to heat and uh, 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 so temperatures and um, um, dryness and stuff. So it really needs to outside of the outside of the, the animal system. So the rate of the organism doesn't live in temperatures outside of the normal temperature span of a of, of a living organism or a living mammal. Okay, so once so, it's exposed to air and light, it, yeah. it starts so to... It doesn't... A, yeah, dead, uh, a, a dead ra- rabbit animal, uh, essentially 24 hours after its body has gotten cooled off, there's no organism alive in that, in that body. So it could essentially be in contact. You know, theoretically, it could be in contact. Boy, between this, between this conversation and some of the questions we have coming up, this is going to be a very... <laughs> This is going to be the gooey. This is going to be the gooey, gross-ass of that show. Now we did. I think what we, they had us do was the 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 pony that the horse or that the rabid raccoon was in that stall. They couldn't be sure, so that the state wanted that one and the stall next door. Yeah. Uh, those two horses had to be quarantined. Then, yeah, that's uh, right. They quarantine and observe for a specific amount. Yeah, of time. it was a long time too if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, it can be it can be several especially if they've been vaccinated before sometime in their life, but if they've been non-vaccinated then um, it's a shorter period of time. Um, but it, there, there are mandates that are made by the Board of Health and um, uh, the, the state and federal board of um, uh, uh, disease controls that uh, have looked at the disease quite closely. So it's best just to follow their recommendations. And it's a, it's a giant hassle. Is there any, anybody with dogs and cats knows that um, um, if an animal falls out of its vac, uh, um, those species, the dogs and cats in most states are required by law to be vaccinated. Well, large animals and horses in general are not. So, mm-hmm. so um, you do not have to vaccinate your horse, but we, hi- we highly recommend it because the same quarantine procedures are going to be placed on them if you did get an animal bite, you didn't know where it came from, especially if the horse, uh, you know, if there were wild animals around. Well, while we're, on, helpful. while we're on gory gross stuff, can I ask a quick question yeah. related to this, Helena? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also had uh, came in contact with a couple of foxes that had come down with mange. Is that something that can be transferred to a horse? Uh, yes. Well, um, it, if it's the main, if it's sarcoptic mange. Uh, well, let me tell you, this thing looked like a creature out of a horror movie uh, with all its hair gone and covered in scabs, yeah. and had killed about five of our cats. Never ate them, just killed them all, um, and we actually. We're finding dead cats, and we went up. Our, our, our barn was tough on cats. Um, we went upstairs in the barn, and this thing came out right beside us, and it really freaked me out because it was like something out of a horror movie. Aww. And we found it a, a day later, dead on the on the property. But uh, what a what a nightmare that was! And you sure well, it was? It, it really had mange. It yeah. In, in mange, in mange is pretty characteristic. You know, the the animals that have it are you know you if you can uh, get up close enough to visualize them or through a pair of, uh, of you know, um, binoculars, you can sometimes see it. But uh, they, it's very classic. They have this very, um, they're uh, losing their hair. Their skin becomes very rough and rugated um, so that it looks thickened and, um, and wrinkly. 
and mm. it's hyperkeratotic. They're producing a lot of cells, so a lot of dry, flaky skin. I'm telling you, it's something out of a horror movie, Dr. Perry. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and they're, 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 a good part of their body will be uh, completely nude, and then yep. another part may have a tuft of hair here or there. Yep, they're exactly. Always, they're always thin, and they always look poor. You yep, know, that was it. Poor doers. And <laughs> it, it, it'll go through, and it's one of, you know, it's one of the diseases that you know, definitely controls the, the, the wildlife species, because when it gets into a den or uh, through a group, of course, these uh, these are commu- these animals live in groups, and so it would go through a whole lot of them and and wipe them out because it it, it just it just causes them to be such poor doers. It just zaps their now. Whole... Is that the same thing? Do they have to actually bite the horse? Well, there's, uh, you said there were two kinds, right? There's no, there's... no. With the, with mange, mange is a is a para, is a uh, um, skin parasite. It's it's um, it's a mite that burrows its way under this uh, the epidermis under this uh, top layer of skins and gets into the dermis and migrates there and inflicts a tremendous inflammatory response. The body tries to kill it. It can't. And um, it just uh, lives there, feeding off of uh, debris and um, stuff that it's, uh, that it's, it's locked into. And um, it's spread by contact. So um, essentially, if an animal... Lays on the ground and rubs its hair and skin. It can it can actually shed some on the areas that it's laying down. So, some animals like dogs, uh, it's fairly common. They'll they'll go into a uh, fox den that had mange, and then they'll have it all over their face and their head. So um, so it can it it lives around the surroundings that the mangy animal lives, and so it can be picked up fairly easily. And and both um, yeah. So humans are not. It's contagious across the board. Um, uh, most, most mammals can get it. Some some get it uh, less or more than others. How do they uh, people, treat it? People can get it. Oh, it's treated by um, uh, uh, usually um, topical medications, um, but uh, one of the best ones has been ivermectin, uh, the horse dewormer. Uh, you know, the dewormer that we use on, on all mammal species for one parasite or the other, but injections of ivermectin have been very, very helpful to kill off the organism. So it's become easier to treat. Once upon a time, they used to have to use um, uh, tremendous, uh, very irritating topical baths and scrubbing and, um, you know, things that caused a lot of irritation. It was very slow to heal the animal um, or person, for that matter. So now it's much easier to treat. And I know that, uh, I have, I know that I've heard that puppies are, are very susceptible to it. Yeah, and essentially because uh, young animals, uh, their immune systems are naive. They haven't been exposed to a lot of different things, and therefore they're 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 not built up to those uh, insults. So, uh, puppies, kittens, any 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 infant, um, infantile species would be more subject to having a, a worse case of it or dying from it, as opposed to a healthy adult that uh, got it and. Um, um, they may even have the immunity to fight it off. There's probably some um, ability to do that at some level. We we haven't recognized it. Anytime people recognize it, we treat the animal, you know, be it a wild animal or hmm. or a domestic one, and we're able to treat it pretty effectively if the animal's not too immunocompromised. Well, all right, Helena, I'm done now. You can continue asking your questions. You know, I always say to Helena, you're going to take the lead on this one, and I don't really have much to say about veterinary stuff, and then look what happens. You know what? (laughs) We do want to warn people that if you're eating lunch, it only gets worse from here, so you don't want to wait. No, I have a good question. This isn't a bad one. Um, 
you know, I, you know, you hear you, you hear some advice from somebody. Um, let's say you board your horse in a barn, and and the barn manager says, "Okay, it's springtime. Grass is coming in, especially in an area where the grass has been dead all year long." And they say, "Don't turn your horse out on spring grass all day long." Um, and you kind of, you you hear that, you heed that advice, you follow it. Um, is with spring coming, what do horse owners really need to keep in mind about their horse's nutritional needs as the spring grass comes in, as it gets green, and, and how much they can or cannot graze on that? Uh, that's an excellent question. It's, it's, it's uh, a very difficult thing to deal with because, um, of course, the grass turns green at different rates depending upon temperature and moisture in a given area. So I think that anybody who's been around horses has recognized that they're very sensitive to, inge- uh, or large animals for that matter, any herbivores, that are ingesting um, um, a lot of new food. And this, uh, certainly the onset of new green grass is a new food. It's something that they haven't been subject to all winter. They're not used to it. And um, with the new grass comes um, a new flood of nutrients into that, uh, into that growing um, plant. And uh, there's a lot of sugar and there's a lot of different um, uh, constituents that make it up. And some animals are very sensitive to those. So horses, cows, um, most of the herbivores, if they get too much of a good thing, they're going to get sick if they're not used to it. And um, so the most important take-home for any horse owner is to be aware that starting now, mostly across the United States, it's becoming spring, except for a few northern regions, and they don't need to worry about this for another four weeks. But after four weeks from now, um, we're looking at spring in most parts of the United States. And um, so the grass is uh, coming in. It's usually fairly moist. Uh, It's growing relatively rapidly. There's a lot of new sugar and nutrients flooding into the plant and those horses are uh, then, uh, those that are pastured in a large area are able to consume essentially what they want. And uh, some horses eat more than others, so that has a factor. Those horses that are uh, voluminous eaters um, um, and you are in a fairly rich um, earth area where grass grows uh, very richly, soil type is uh, supportive and nutritive those horses are going to be subject to the most nutrients and the most sugars, and uh, they could get colic and laminitis second, secondary to overeating in a given day. So one day it was cold and seemed to be fine, and then you had a couple of rains and the warm weather came in, and within one or two days that grass can grow so much that the horse can get um, uh, essentially overeat something he's not used to. And uh, that's the that's the whole scenario. So you have to be aware of that even through even into the middle part of the summer. Occasionally, the weather cools down a little bit. The grass starts to grow a little faster because the temperature range for the grass is ideal. And if there's enough moisture, they'll even get a lush grass growth in the middle of a hot summer, or even in the fall. So spring and fall being the biggest worries about grass growth, uh, how fast it is, how healthy it is um those, those so, are the time factors it's not necessarily that they, it's not that they can't have it but you have to limit how much you they have can have of it yeah and okay. it's on a per uh, it's on an individual basis there's no formula to say you know 
uh, that uh, half an hour on on new green grass is all you need to do and you need to incrementally increase it. Ideally, that's what you do. You pick a plan with your veterinarian uh, because of the area that you're in and they're aware of what's going on. They're thinking about this stuff all the time. Okay. I am. And so if one of my clients locally says, you know, hey, Brian, can I turn my horses out on the big pasture? You know, it's, it's, um, right now I'll say it's time to limit um, your cushionoid horse or your horse that had founder before because he seems to be sensitive to things and can founder. And the other horses just be aware that if they, um, uh, that some horses tolerate that and can jump into a field that's growing lushly without any problem, but they're definitely at higher risk. Um, so those horses that are at high risk that you identify as old, cushionoid, um, insulin-resistant type, um, have had a case of laminitis in the past, those are the ones that you really need to identify. And What about uh, ponies and minis? Yeah. Are they also high risk? Well, there are ponies, wild horses, um, uh, miniatures that seem to be more sensitive, more, more subject to that, and it's... Um, Probably a genetic base, um, uh, the ones that have a tendency to become fat more easily. But there's so many factors that can play into that. Uh, the answers are yes, those are the types that you want to be more careful with. And um, certainly ponies uh, can overeat. There is a... Um, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, horse... Horses really, you know, evolutionarily, you know, they 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 evolved to be able to eat a bunch of different stuff. They're grazers primarily, but they'll graze over large ranges just to get enough nutrients to survive. And, you know, since modern day, uh, we've been able to fertilize our pastures and fields, and you know, you just get this beautiful, and we're able to develop grasses that you know grow fast and nutrient. And we've created our own problems with that because the horse, the horse is the horse. They're they're supposed to be going miles and miles to get all their food, and they don't have to in a lot of our places up in the northeast. So the soil is so thick and rich, and we've been fertilizing it for years. You know, a small, you know, a half an acre can um, can support a horse for quite a while. That's how you pay for the USS Dr. Parrot. Yeah. <laughs> USS Dr. So, so that's it in a nutshell. And so I identify the horses and then work with the veterinarian to put them on a... Um, uh, schedule and just be aware that if you think it's a really nice day for growing, you're seeing that that gra- grass has grown, you know, a half an inch to an inch in a day, then uh, you know it's growing awfully quickly. Your horses are going to be subject to eating all of that, and um, <laughs> and and that's what you don't want. All right, we better get to some questions that were submitted by some listeners on Facebook and an email. We appreciate everybody who submitted. And the first one, I picked this one because I've had experience with it at our farm in Pennsylvania also, uh, from Nikki Bowman. What can you do for a brown recluse spider bite when the bite is on the horse's withers? Well, I guess that could be wherever the bite is. Um. Right. And um, uh, this uh, the area that I am in is... Uh, don't have many recluse spiders or that problem um, down south in Florida. That's more common. And Glenn, I understand you might have some um, 
some yeah we had a we, yeah we had them at our house and we had a lot of things at a house in Pennsylvania for some reason <laughs> but um, this farm we we had the brown recluse spider and we you had, have your own show just yeah no, just, that place. <laughs> just from this place we it was that area we had snakes we had poisonous we had everything mangy uh, fox mangy foxes and just all kinds of stuff but the brown recluse spider and first we should say that the brown recluse spider is not a big spider if you you should look it up online and really become familiar with what it looks like. It is but brown. Cautious because if you look it up online, you need to be prepared for some gory photos. Yes. Um, you have and- a weak stomach. You could go for the text-only versions. <laughs> but you should at least know what the spider looks like. And it, it, it is kind of strange looking. And the, the, the key thing to the spider is it's two antennae. Most spiders, the antennae come out and sort of evenly around the body. The brown recluse has two that come out uh, almost straight ahead. Uh, in front of its head, and that makes it a little different than than a lot of other spiders. Anyway, we had a cat that was uh, bit by one. We didn't know what it was. All we knew was the cat was sort of favoring the leg, and we'd look at it. Well, the next day we looked at the cat, and a lot of the skin was eaten away, just had disappeared. And we thought, well, what's this? We had no idea. And by the next day, we thought, well, we better get this cat to the vet the next day. By the next morning, pretty much the whole arm top of the arm was gone it was just an open wound it had just it just like melts away i don't know how else to describe it dr parrot it just disappears um and you have this big open wound and we brought the cat to the vet and by that point it was like okay put the cat down um but you know and from what i understand from we did a lot of reading then because we did look around the house and we actually found a couple um and we had them in our basement was the place where we found them which kind of makes sense i guess uh and we actually had a horse get bit by one too so i know what this poor this poor person's going through and it really is it really disintegrates the the tissue uh, and it, from what i understand it doesn't necessarily kill big animals like humans or horses but it can make a hole in you right and at least, and and I'm I wouldn't doubt that at all. You know, the the recluse spider may have a venom uh, in it that um, uh, that creates that um, necrotizing agent um, or toxin that can damage and destroy cells. It also could uh, carry a bacteria that um, also it could carry a toxin that does that type of thing. And the um, the treatment for that I've read that has uh, been used for that, once you identify that you have something developing that bad, you, you want to get it to a veterinarian right away. But, you know, one of the treatments for it is a sulfonic antibiotic called Dapsone. Um, that that has uh, probably been used uh, uh, as an antibiotic against the wound or the necrotizing, um, uh, necrotized area of the skin that could easily get infected by other organisms around it so that the antibiotic is possibly prophylactic. It's also possibly treating uh, some of the common types of bacteria that are in the reclusive spider's bite. But the other part is getting it clean and also treating with um, corticosteroids to prevent tissue reaction, tissue death um, as, a, as a preventative. So it's uh, obviously it's a very, very... Um, uh, severe uh, bite, and anybody that notices a injury or wound to an animal that is not getting better within a short period of time, um, and certainly worse within 24 hours, needs to contact their veterinarian, especially if they consider a spider bite or something that they can't understand. It could be a splinter underneath the skin, but again, if, unless you're trained to really observe those things, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's what we really want to 
uh, say, you know, don't put it off. Give a call. At least ask questions. It usually doesn't cost anything to ask those questions, and you can identify if it needs to be seen or not. And it's it's actually they say that the spider's not aggressive. It's not like they just come floating down from the ceiling and bite you. You have to really press against it. They say they say it only bites when it's pressed against the skin. You know. Right. Um, so don't freak out there. See, if I heard brown recluse spider, I, I, like my husband freaks out. <laughs> he thinks every spider is a brown <laughs> recluse. My wife, they too. Only get, she's they a... only get pissed off when they're, uh, when they're brought out of their reclusiveness. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> smashed <laughs> and there is you know, a good we'll put in our up. show notes there's a good website called brown recluse spider.org yeah, uh, well, excellent uh, that's a good one and apparently know. it's it's found um in the central part of the country and i think we got it we had the retail business then and we got shipments from all over the country and we think that's where it came in from well, so, yeah. so it is found like where i live now in kentucky um good to know all right go ahead helena we have uh, from another fan, Jill Broyles. She writes, I know most vets recommend giving booster shots to mares one month before their foaling date. How close to foaling would you recommend they not vaccinate? Does that make sense to you, that question? It sure yes. does. Okay. And that, that, that's uh, very easy. Um, in, in, I'll give you the recommendations for vaccines first, and then uh, anything short of that should be very careful. But... Um, the, the normal uh, last vaccines to be given to a horse, if you remember, and on a schedule, is generally at the 10th month of pregnancy, so one month before they actually fall. That's an ideal so, time to vaccinate So there's a, them. 11 months is the typical gestation? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and uh, about a month before they're supposed to uh, fall, uh, to give them their uh, annual vaccines or their spring shots is a, is a good time. That will help to allow the mare to develop immunity to the new vac- uh, to the vaccines and put that vaccine as antibodies into the milk that's going to be developing within a month. And uh, then the foal is essentially vaccinated for most diseases um, uh, that you vaccinate for um, at the time of, of foaling. Now, the, uh, to answer that question, any, um, it takes about two months, uh, two weeks for a good immunity to impart on the, from the mare after being vaccinated. So any time less than, or, or uh, two weeks or less before foaling is probably not an ideal time. And anything between, before a week before foaling is probably going to help impart immunity to the foal, and it could cause enough irritation or, um, um, inflammation in the mare that they go into early foaling. Um, so they may, they may actually induce parturition or induce foaling if they have a reaction to the vaccines that close to foaling. So definitely within a week, do not do it. Within two weeks, talk to your vet and try to get the vaccines done by the 10th month. Very good. Helpful? It was, yeah. All right. <laughs> it actually was was interesting enough that made me want to learn more about um, foaling and breeding and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny how one time a year. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I hate to. I, I'm not a big fan of breeding because I think let's let's give homes to what what's already alive, what's already out there. But um, you know, I understand it. It's, it's there, and it's it's there's there are good reasons for for breeding, but. Um, I got to tell you, Helena, that when you live in Lexington, when you live in Lexington and you drive around here this time of year, it is unbelievable how cute the babies are. I know. Well, I was there. <laughs> we love babies. I'm, That's right. Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah, it's good for the it's good for the heart too. They say. 
There you go. <laughs> but you know, and then, but and the whole the whole process of um, reproduction of equine reproduction is so fascinating and wonderful that you, you can't help but get sucked in. And this little question just sort of, I don't know, sparked that. There's another show I see coming. <laughs> All right, Dr. Parrott from Andrea Hill. My horses have dry, flaky ears. What can you put in their ears for the dryness? And I, there were there actually were a lot of people giving answers to this one on on the uh, on Facebook. And one of the answers was Vaseline. I remember that. Yeah. Um, dry, flaky ears. Well, it can be simply dry, just dry skin. If 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 the skin looks normal, other than being dry and flaky, but it also could be um, a condition called oral plaque, spelled A U R A L, plaques, and that and that condition is really common. Usually, it looks like a horse that has depigmented, or therefore white skin in a normally pigmented area, and um, the hair doesn't typically grow on those areas that are, are producing these oral plaques, and they're usually raised what I call hyperkeratotic, but basically thick, um, uh, uh, callus-like little pieces. And sometimes they're fronds, a little of white, flaky, uh, almost like plant-like material that's coming off of the skin. And uh, those oral plaques, so if the condition that she's seen and describing appears to be depigmented, hairless, and uh, thick, flaky, white skin, um, then that could be oral plaques. And those um, in those cases, that's one condition typically associated with um, the little tiny black flies. Uh, Smooliums uh, will, will sometimes irritate, bite the ear, and spread a little virus called the papilloma virus. And basically what you're seeing is a skin viral infection that can stay there for years and years and forever, for that matter, and sometimes spread locally in that area. And, of course, that's a place where these little tiny black flies can bite and pick up a particle of virus and carry it to another horse. So, so that's what one it, possibility. Is there something for both? Like if it's just dry, flaky skin, what would you tell them to right. do? For just dry, flaky skin, any kind of emollient, something that has um, like a Vaseline base, a very mild petroleum um, base, and that you can just rub it over the area. It protects from drying too much. So you can just gently clean the ears with a little mild soap and water. And then after you dry them off, apply some Vaseline. Uh, AD ointment works well. Some people even use a very, um, the mineral oil that we treat colics with, a small amount of mineral oil inside the ear. And uh, just you don't want large gobs of it, but just enough to protect the skin from getting dry. Okay, cool. Lanolin-based products work nicely and soothe the skin. But if it's something like oral plaques, um, then uh, there are some new treatments for that. In the past, we've just used mineral oil, but now we have an anti, uh, a, a nice uh, product called Aldera. Um, uh, it's an immunoquid, and it's a um, drug that was de- developed for humans and human warts, and we've used it on sarco- uh, equine sarcoids and on oral plaques and horses, and we're finding it very effective to cure it. Do do all vets own stock in mineral oil companies? Because we <laughs> sure use enough of it. <laughs> anything, Not a bad idea, anything though. wrong with a horse? Use the mineral oil. Get the bucket out. Well, no, even for dogs. I mean, every time my dog ate a sock, we'd give her like five tablespoons of mineral oil. It's it's like in mineral oil and witch hazel. 
Well, Dr. Parrot, hold on here. Hold on here one second. We do have to do a commercial and we'll be right back with a couple more questions. Are you a small farm owner? Do you train horses or teach lessons? If so, how do you attract new business? One great way to market your small business is with a print advertisement in your regional equestrian publication. Whether it's the omnibus, a stable directory, a magazine, or a newspaper, a tasteful and creatively designed print advertisement can really go a long way in establishing credibility for you and your business. And we all know how important credibility is in the horse world. In fact, it's crucial. One very simple way to get that credibility is with a really nice print advertisement. The Barnworks, a unique marketing company which caters to equine businesses, can help you get the word out about your business with a tasteful, creative, and affordable print ad. Visit our website at www.thebarnworks.com to view some samples of print advertisements our clients have found to be very successful. That's thebarnworks.com. Okay, here's a question from Teresa Grant. If a horse has had Potomac fever, does he or she build an immunity to it, or will the horse still need to be vaccinated twice yearly? Um, essentially, uh, to answer that question correctly, the, um, the horse uh, will develop an immunity to it. Um, they are getting a natural infection, and they will develop a good immunity to it and against it. Unfortunately, we don't know how long that immunity will last. So it would still be recommended, even if the horse had the disease, to be vaccinated in the future. Um, the recommendations for the vaccine are one time per year after the initial two doses. So if a horse had never been vaccinated before, never had the disease before, then you would vaccinate them uh, uh, once and then three to four weeks after that, and then yearly thereafter, but not twice yearly. Here's a question um, that kind of adds on to this. Um, up, up in the Northeast, we don't typically uh, vaccinate for, t- for Potomac fever. Right. Um, but, you know, I know that a, a lot of eventers travel pretty far, pretty much, I mean, any competitive rider, but I know a lot of eventers will, will travel into different zones um, uh, or areas. Do, would you recommend if someone's going into or competing in an area, even if it's, you know, just a few times a year, that they should vaccinate for that regional Oh, absolutely. This, this is one of these uh, wonderful spring vaccine questions uh, where uh, these are regional uh, things, uh, vaccines to use, and um, the organism itself is um, we, uh, it, it, it's thought to be spread by some crawling vector that may be in shavings or in the ground or around, and it is a, a, a bacteria bacterial-like organism, Ehrlichia ritsitsi, um, I'm not pronouncing that quite correctly, but it's a, um, the organism itself um, is something that in some regions is much more prevalent. So like in the mid-Atlantic states, that's where the disease is heavily, and there's a huge, you know, um, three-day equestrian life there. And so horses that go into it come from it. Uh, should be vaccinated for sure. In the Northeast, we I vaccinate a, n- a number of my patients for it. We've had cases here that have developed here and only here, so we know it can be in the region, but it's also been shipped into the area uh, by horses coming off the trail and being very sick with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, those horses that transport around a lot or um, um, there has been a case in which the clients are really concerned, we do vaccinate for it. So I would say about 25, maybe 30% of my clients vaccinate for Potomac horse fever. 
oh, okay, that's a, a fair enough amount. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, we have another question from Kathy Penenga, and her question is, what is the anatomy of a cribber, also known as a windsucker? Is the horse actually sucking air into their trachea or esophagus, or is it something where the, the air is trying to escape because of gas in the stomach? It's because they're sucking air into their esophagus, um, and there's been some good studies about uh, uh, where they've actually been able to um, use a isotope in the air that they're using and take a X-ray um, of that as they're actually cribbing and watch the airflow where it goes. Um, it fortunately does enter uh, enter into the esophagus, but it doesn't build up or grow, uh, develop a lot into their stomach. And there's been a long thought that you know horses gulp this air and they're just swallowing air into the stomach and then they get gassy and bloated uh, secondary to swallowing too much air. And um, I can't cite the study right off the top of my head, but um, that's essentially the anatomy of it. They do suck it into their esophagus. Now, so, go ahead, Helena. So they, they, when you, they use an isotope, like a radioactive marker. It, it's right. like a, a tag, right? So they can actually follow the, right. the air to see where it goes within the horse's body after it's been sucked in? Yeah. Uh, yes, they can use a, <sighs> awesome. like a, um, a, 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 <laughs> You're so a, geeky. Yeah, <laughs> an, an x-ray camera, um, a, a fluoroscope, and yep. actually be able to pick up this, um, this, this, this labeled... Um, you know, like radon labeled um, uh, air. It's kind of. It was a cool study because it was a big question. You know, are horses uh, who crib colicking because they're swallowing air into their stomach and bloating secondary to all that they're ingesting? And the answer is no, uh, from what I understand. Now, there's some controversy amongst people about, you know, there's people that just do not believe in cribbing collars and others that do. Right. Um, what, what's your opinion on a cribbing collar? Um, I only use them in isolated cases. I don't recommend them a lot. And primarily the, uh, the, the anatomy of a cribber, uh, the physiology of a cribber is that there are uh, um, isolated horses that aren't fed on a routine basis uh, crib more uh, than horses that are out in pasture with a herd of horses. And regardless of, you know, um, of what, if it's genetic or if it's learned behavior, because that's a big area of discussion, and we don't know, there's probably some genetic base to it. The environment seems to make things worse or better. And knowing, pretty much knowing that they don't swallow air into the stomach, uh, my thought is if they're not destroying the barn by the action, some horses are <laughs> uh, destructive cribbers and some yeah. horses are not. <laughs> and, and so those destructive cribbers that are just tearing down the barn, uh, you know, then using devices to minimize that uh, probably good, but I'll tell you, um, the horses do seem to get comfort and relief from doing it if they're not swallowing air and causing trauma uh, in any other way, then why not let them do that? Because once they do it, they have this probable release of um, endorphin-like um, uh, mater- uh, chemicals in their brain, and they get into a good place, and then they go back to feeding, and you know, they come back and forth. But if you stop a, try to stop a horse, they just sometimes seem to be more anxious about cribbing and finding a place and getting really rattled to do the job. So I, I find that just keeping a calm environment and recognizing those horses that need 
um, a, a, a more calm environment, basically one with other horses around. So horses use cribbing to get into that calm place, and we use alcohol. So that's pretty. Or much. food, or, or sucking our thumb, <laughs> or gum, yeah. or it's considered an uh, you know an obsessive compulsive disorder, and fits within the realm of all OCDs that are out there, be one mammal or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have one more question, and that's perfect with the amount of time we have left here. Uh, And and this is from Larry uh, Pucci, I guess. Are there any new developments? Boy, this is a good one to end with. Are there any new developments for the treatment of founder? My Shetland has it bad, which could cut his life short. He is a good friend. And, of course, we've all dealt with founder at one point or another, and we have uh, at the same farm in Pennsylvania with ponies, of course. Uh, So... um, let me guess. Did you have cribbers there too? Yes, we did. Yes, <laughs> you should have named that farm Murphy's Law Farm. If it could happen, it happened at it your farm. It did exactly. Well, you know, when I think Doctor Parrot, this is off the topic a little bit. When we had, you know, twenty twenty five horses there, you're going to have stuff. Yes, yes. You yes. know. So, anyway, what 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 about founder? Anything new? No, um, unfortunately, it's uh, we have we've been. As veterinarians and researchers in uh, in this problem uh, have been after this disease for years and years and years, and there is just a very good active group right from where you're in uh, from Glenn on, on the disease. There's more veterinarians down there working on laminitis issues than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, here in Lexington. Yeah, yeah here in Lexington, and they and they and they really come out with some great information. And over the years. So, unfortunately, there isn't anything really new, and we're still trying things because we don't have the answers. Um, laminitis is, is, a, um, is a sequela um, to a insult um, that, you know, the sequela is that there's inflammation of the lamina. And there are many, many different co- things that can produce inflammation of the lamina. You first have to have inflammation of the blood vessels and leakage of, of you know, um, intra- uh, intravascular fluid into the extravascular spaces to create that. And so you know, a horse can be debilitated, have um, um, a severe colic, and um, develop uh, problems associated with that. They could be a Cushing syndrome type of um, horse and, uh, and, and be predisposed to it for that reason. They can be on grass. Uh, too much grass. There's just so many different things. A high fever can bring on laminitis simply from um, from a virus. So there's no um, all the causes are out there, and it's basically catching it early, under re- trying to recognize the underlying cause, and then attacking it from that standpoint. But when a horse, and so there, that's where my recommendations come from. This old, uh, the Shetland may be. Um, uh, a, the type, a cushionoid type or an insulin-resistant type or a hypothyroid animal. So you want to identify if there's anything abnormal in their metabolism first. And then you want to see what their lifestyle is, if there's predisposing factors that could bring it on. And that, that's where you have to begin. Do blood work, uh, make sure that they're healthy, look at their diet that they're on, look at the feed, pasture that they're on. And um, once they have the disease, then it's basically decreasing inflammation, minimizing activity until healthy lamina can grow and the foot can grow out, and having a very astute trimmer, be it a veterinarian or somebody who specializes in trimming damaged uh, feet, on how uh, to minimize stresses so that they grow out a new um, hoof. And so once a 
hoof uh, animals foundered, uh, they, it, it'll take 9 to 12 months for a whole new hoof to grow out, and that lamina can be replaced, sometimes permanently damaged, but sometimes it's not. So that's it as, 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 a, as a big picture. If you have some questions specifically, I can go on from there. Well, there's, there's, is laminitis, um, it sounds like there, there can be, well, different reasons for it, but it is, is it like colic where the term laminitis or founder is a generic term for a number of different physiological things that are going on within the foot? Yes. With, I mean, there's a basic, like there's inflammation there, but laminitis could have very, a very specific sub Physiology, because I don't know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, subpathology. Absolutely, <laughs> subpathology. Okay. Yeah, you can get um, you know very focal inflammation. You can have very mild inflammation. Um, you can get uh, you know widespread severe inflammation, and all of those will um, have different uh, different sequelae occur. So you know, in the worst cases, the horses literally separate their hoof horn lamina from their inner lamina that holds the bony column or the third phalanx in place. And just like your fingernail lifting off your finger, uh, they can just come off. And in cases of severe, you know, Potomac horse fever and the horse gets very sick with that, one of the cases, one of the signs that we see is that they'll just walk right out of their hooves. So that's the most severe form of laminitis. And what we as veterinarians generally deal with is the uh, acute and the chronic forms, regardless of what's causing it. And we treat them a little bit differently each. Um, and it's just a huge science in itself, but it's not. We understand a lot about the pathophysiology that's going on, but there are biomechanics that sometimes cannot be reversed uh, just because of the, 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 the way the horse is designed. That it, it, It's very difficult to treat a horse that has to stand on its feet because one of the best treatments is to get them off their feet. Right. And if we could do that, we could solve a lot more problems. Do are is any are there any um, research hospitals that are using slings to help oh, treat slings um, devices that uh, allow the horses to be in a swimming pool for most of their life uh, while mm. they're swimming, uh, so that they don't but they can't have their feet wet all that time so that they need to be sort of in a big inner tube. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like fun. Completely bubble wrapped. Sure, the horse just loves it. Right. So those, those are is that you know, and how do you do that and actually be able to? So there's a there's how do you do that and keep the water clean? Um, So so management. So there there are we're making progress in in managing how we, I guess how we can make a horse comfortable or or treat. But you're saying that there's still some mysteries. There's still some gaps. But those, what can't we do? We can't cure it, or we can't you know, define that wall that we're hitting when it comes to laminitis. Yeah, the wall the wall is the biomechanics of the horse. They okay. if you have severe uh if you have a lot of separation of the lamina and the hoof uh the hoof wall is severely compromised, then what happens is the the, 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 the hoof wall and the and the inner hoof, which is they they have to be together for survival. Um uh, start to separate, and there's a lot of pain associated with that okay. because there's nothing supporting it. And so that's the wall. The wall is that how do we uh, get this foot to grow out? How do we minimize pain? And um, and we know that a new hoof will grow from the top to the bottom, 
how can we help that grow out as normally as possible without more damage, more trauma to it. All right, Dr. Parrott. Well, we we kept you way over time, and we apologize for that. Thank you very much again for being on. It is always good to talk to you, too. Well, thank you very much. It sure is good. And um, um, have a great day. I hope uh, I can have an opportunity to do this again. It's always fun. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll get you back in the middle of summer when it's actually hot. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Parrott. Thanks, Dr. Parrott. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you to Dr. Parrott for coming on again, and it was so nice of him to he's you know, and I like it because he speaks at our level, yeah, which is yeah. maybe just downright stupid, I don't know, but um <laughs> you know that, that's our level, and you know that's no, where we are in and, a couple of big words I yeah, he did up squealer or something like that, but so- he did explain them then, you know, a couple times I was yeah. going to go, ah, and then he explains it, but yes, yes, but, yes, that's what I mean by he's he's really good at explaining things to you. Um, like if you know what you're talking about, he, he goes up a level and talks to you on that level. But if you're kind of new or there's an area you have no experience with, he, he starts at the beginner level and, and gradually brings you up to, you know, to his, his, um, where he is in the conversation. And he obviously recognizes that I'm like pre-beginner because he just talks right down to the very bottom, like right down to me. Yeah, I like that. Well, <laughs> right, well down next... there. right down there to you and your man cave. <laughs> That's right. Well, we appreciate him being on. As I said, uh, when we brought him on, you can listen to all his past shows, too, on the website. It's one of the nice things about uh, podcasts. You can go back and listen to past episodes. All the questions that we asked him the last several times he's been on are all relevant today. So stop over and take a listen to those past episodes. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy and learn something, too. Well, next week, we switch it up a bit, don't we? Literally. We do. We do. We're <laughs> We're going to talk about something that I know nothing about, um, which is uh, we're going to talk about the world of riding a str- uh, riding a side. <laughs> side I think it's saddle. a stride, isn't it? No, I think it's a side. I thought it was a stride. I did too, but it's. I think I was wrong. Well, it's side saddles nonetheless, and riding <laughs> that way. You know, my wife has done that. Uh, she a num- has? Yeah, a number of times. Yep. She, I think she even competed in a show or two side saddle. No, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, when she was younger, when she was like a teenager, they used to do side saddle classes, and she, we even had a side saddle for a while. Here we go. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, is According it a stride American- or a side? It's a side. Ah, you're it's right. It's a side. The world of riding a side. Well, it makes okay. sense. Yeah, it it's not stride sense. saddle. It's side saddle. Okay. I, I think win. a stride is when you have both legs over the horse. Oh, well, that would make sense. A stride. Right? Well, by next week, we're going to know all this stuff. <laughs> we certainly will. See, I told you I know nothing about it, and apparently neither does Glenn. So come along for the ride where we actually learn something. I think it's elegant and pretty. It is pretty. And you know, <laughs> here's how corny I am. I love their riding habits. Oh, I love yeah. Clothing. And there's whole stores that sell nothing but that stuff. For oh, it's just, it, it's such an, I mean, come on, people. We... We, we love our horses, we ride, we train hard, we work hard, but there are times where it's really nice to get dressed up and just be really nicely turned out and look great. And um, well, I think the, the, the folks who ride side saddle, hands down, beat the rest of us. Now, is there anybody that rides side saddle at the hunt that you were at? Um, yes, there is. I just don't personally know her. There's oh, okay. actually a group of women who, um, and, and they usually at the Myopia Horse Show each year, they... Um, they do sort of a demonstration, and it's just, it's so elegant. Now, it doesn't look comfortable sometimes, depending on your horse's gait, but, but, but uh, it is very elegant looking, especially when they do wear their outfits. It's, it's pretty neat. Well, you know, there's a lot of skirts and draping, so you don't know what's going on under there. <laughs> 
Well, the show notes are available at StableScoop.com. We'll put a link to that video we talked about. And also, uh, we'll put some uh, links to the, some of the information that, that we discussed here and to Dr. Parrott's website as well. And you can find uh, us... Uh, what was I going to say there, Helena? <laughs> you can give us feedback right on the website using the contact link, and you can also find us on Twitter at Horse Radio and Helena underscore B-E-E. And don't forget to go to Facebook and join our our fan page. We would appreciate that, and also you get to you get to contribute to the show because we're always asking, uh, you know, who who do, who has done what and and uh, for contributions for the next show, so you could hear your name on the show as well, or might get and you on as a guest. Too. Yeah. We like our comments. We we like to hear back from you so facebook is a great way for uh for you guys to to tell us what, what's on your mind and we thank the barn works and equestriancollections.com for their sponsorship well we're at the t- time of the show that everybody looks forward to when helena screws up <laughs> so we're gonna try it again now we wanted to make it a little different remember now we got to try and tie in next week's theme with the whole ending so <laughs> yeah you, you had to introduce a degree of difficulty so yes, exactly. thank so, you that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back again next week uh where we talk side saddles and we scoop up behind them <laughs> that was pretty know. lame that was bad that was lame. That was i don't know bad. give me something else set me up better uh, than that the side scoop where we have the side scoop so that's side yes. scoop yes. no yes. scoop no. we scoop side no. scooping side i don't think it's gonna work i don't think it's gonna work for next week so what do we do um a very fancy well-dressed scoop no. Why don't we elegant just go? Scoop. What? Where we have the elegant scoop. I don't like that either. Oh. Well, why don't we just go back to the beginning and say, we'll be back next week with the scoop. We'll be back next week with the scoop on Side Saddle. And we promise next week we'll have a better ending. No, I got really it. Stay. Wait a minute. I got it. <laughs> what? I got it. Are you ready? Okay. okay. Yes. Go ahead. And we'll be back next week with... The scoop on riding a side. Well, that was pretty good. That, that was better, right? Yeah, that was better. The, so let's just I, go. Wait, the scoop on riding a side? I'm hungry. You're always hungry, show hog. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>